Today, the transgender movement has hit mainstream culture in a big way, but it wasn't always like that. What would it be like to live through almost the entire recent history of the transgender movement from near-complete marginalization in the 1960s to glimmers of mainstream acceptance in the present? Today, we're talking to Alexandra Billings, who did just that. Billings plays the character of Davina on the hit TV show Transparent and has just published her memoir, This Time for Me. It's hot off the presses, hitting shelves just this last weekend, and I highly recommend that you pick up a copy because it tells one person's experiences from the 60s through today. We catch up with Billings and talk about some of her struggles, but our conversation quickly turns into much more. She is an actress, a teacher, and a person who has, frankly, endured some hard times in her life. Prejudice, assault, drug addiction, HIV, family rejection, and more. And yet she has worked through that pain and emerged as someone who can convey it in a way that perhaps can help others. Alexandra Billings tells us about coming to terms with herself, writing about her experiences on the show Transparent, and carrying pain while still walking proud. That's what we're talking about in today's interview episode. I'm B.T. Newberg, and this is the history of sex. The History of Sex is sponsored by Dr. Jillian Kenny, historian of women, sex, and magic in medieval Europe. According to the inside flap of Billings' new book, Alexandra Billings is an actor, singer, author, teacher, and activist who has appeared on numerous television shows, including Amazon's Emmy and Golden Globe Award-winning Transparent. Billings, who has been acting since 1968, has also performed across the United States in hundreds of plays and musicals. Every role played by Billings is thought to be a first for an out transgender human. And in addition, we must of course add that she is now the author of the new book, This Time for Me, a Memoir. Folks, there is a lot of history in this book, and a little later I'll be sharing a few select quotes, not too much, but just enough to give you a taste of that history. But first, talking to Billings, I wanted to concentrate on big picture stuff, starting with a connection with our current series, Sex in the Wild West. So let's check in with her now. So, Alexander Billings, thank you for being on the show. Thank you, my friend. It's good to be here. One thing that I would like to start off by asking you is, I was listening to a different interview that you did on a podcast called LGBTQ&A, and on that interview, you mentioned that you have some Native American heritage, and I just thought that was an interesting connection because I'm doing a series on the Wild West right now. My next upcoming episode is about a Native American perspective and uh, two-spirit traditions and things like that. So is that, is that accurate? And is there anything that you would be willing to say about that? Well, uh, I'm uh, mixed, so I'm a lot of different things, but that is a part mm-hmm. of me, yes. Um, you know, that particular uh, um, heritage is, um, runs through the 
through my father's side of the family, my okay. grandfather on my father's side. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was quite prolific in not only the language, but the philosophies, the ideologies. Um, mm-hmm. But it wasn't, it wasn't in our house a lot because I had a, a racist mother and that side of the family sort of pretended mm. that none of that existed. So there was this very strange battle between white uh, patriarchal Christian idea of mm-hmm. how to live our lives and this very spiritual, mm-hmm. very um, fluid and um, liberal, if you will, mm-hmm. idea from my father's side. And the two were battling each other constantly throughout my young life. So what I can tell you is what I know is very little. I've been mm. searching for the last, uh, about the last decade of my life uh, for mm. that part of my existence on the planet. Do you know what tribe? I don't. Okay. I don't. Gotcha. Yeah. That's a, lo- cool. a lot of my journey is towards my, my uh, racial ties. So um, that's, been, that's been the last decade of my life in writing that book, actually. I see. Thank you. Um, yeah. Speaking of your book, let's talk about your book that you got coming out. So one of the things that struck me uh, about your book is, you know, yes, of course, it's a book about being trans, but it's also much more than that. It's your memoir. So, of course, it's also about being an actress, being a teacher, you know, being a family member. And yet in many of the experiences that you relate in the book, uh, sometimes it's almost like experience of being reduced down to being just being trans. So, for example, when directors tell you, I'm sorry, we can't cast you because the audience would only focus on that part of you. So I can only imagine how frustrating that must be. So can you say anything about that struggle? Well, it was very, it's a great question. It was very odd. I never really understood it because although I loved and love being trans, all, all of us are made up of millions of different kinds of things. I think we mm-hmm. confuse what we do with who we are. That's yeah. very American. It's, it's uh, a lot of what we've been taught because that's one of the first questions we ask mm-hmm. after, how are you? If we're strangers, mm-hmm. how are you? And so what do you do? And that's like a big deal. And it's interesting that that follows, how are you? That we can't just stop there. Like, how are you doing? How are you feeling? What are you going through? We have to know what we do because once we do that, then we can, we know who we are. If I know mm-hmm. what you do for a living, I know where my status is. So mm-hmm. my whole life has been about, because I'm trans, People have confused what I am with what I do, meaning being trans is something that I do, like fixing a car or, you know, (laughs) going to the 7-Eleven and I'm trans. It's very very bizarre. It doesn't make any sense. And it never made Mm -hmm. any sense to me. So that's what people, that was the container people. And it's still true to this day. That's the container that people put me in. So Mm -hmm. I always thought to myself, well, look, whatever question you ask me, I'm probably more than willing to answer. You better be ready to hear the answer because I'll tell you. So if you ask me, just (laughs) know that I'm going to say it. Uh, And after we get done with that conversation, if we can have other conversations, perhaps we can veer away from what you think is the only true thing about me. That's the way I've always thought. Right. Absolutely. So going along on the similar lines there, there was sort of an interesting shifting in phases in your life that comes through in the book that is sort of related to this there's like an earlier phase where you're discovering your trans identity and plugging into the trans community. And at that time you were going by Shantae. 
But then there's a part after that where it, it kind of feels as, to me as a reader, it felt like you're like, okay, I kind of got that squared away now. Now I want to explore more parts of myself. And you go into like, you know, your acting career and your teaching career. And you that's even marked by kind of a, a name change to going by Alexandra. So can you say anything about that kind of transition uh, in your life? Yes. And, and again, I think it's true for all of us, you know, when we're young, we want to do the one thing that uh, is focused that's in the front of our, mm-hmm. you know, like the carrot, that carrot yep. that's in front of us that we keep chasing that we never really get. The first thing that comes to us is most likely not the path that we follow. I always mm-hmm. find it. And I thought when I was very young, I know exactly what it is. That I know the thing. I'm going to go get the thing. That's the thing that I want. And it turns out that the thing that I thought I wanted was actually just the end result. What's interesting mm-hmm. is the journey. It's mm-hmm. not about finishing the race. It's about racing. So I always thought that I was sort of done for the longest mm. time. And what the surprise was, was that maybe it's not, maybe it's not about winning. Maybe it's not. We live in a country right now where winning is a big word. Have you noticed? Everybody wants to yes, win. I have. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the race is. That's the confusing part. Like everybody's talking about winning, but nobody's talking about what the actual race is. Everybody just wants mm-hmm. to win. I think everybody mm-hmm. wants a trophy, I think is what it is. And I'm willing to give you a trophy as long as you're kind. Like you can come to my house. If you bring mm-hmm. a cake, I'll give you a trophy. I don't care. I'm not proud. So for me, it was about standing still and stop, stop, stop running, my, stopping myself from running and from chasing something that didn't need to be chased and mm-hmm. from feeling as if I was being pursued. If I stopped and I listened and I experienced what was happening in the moment, I realized, oh, wait a minute, maybe I want to do that. Or, oh, look over there, that's shiny. Or, oh, that seems like a kind person. Why don't I go over and talk to that human being? And the more I did that, (laughs) the more I found out I could do. It was the strangest thing. I really Mm -hmm. never thought of any of that. I always tell my students that I'm an accidental revolutionary because I just sort of, (laughs) I'm like the Jerry Lewis of revolutionaries. I just stumbled into my life like, and then I fall into something (laughs) in the middle of it. And I go, oh, this is pretty. And as a person who's changed careers many times, I can relate. You know what I'm talking about that. I married somebody like that too, you know, Mm. and she, we're from a generation, I'm 60. She's 63, and we're from a generation where our parents, you did one thing, mm-hmm. that was the job you had. It's not true anymore, thank goodness, but that was the job you had. You retired, you got a mm-hmm. pension, and you had kids, and you moved to Florida. That's what everybody did, <laughs> period. And if you didn't do that, you were mm-hmm. a failure. You didn't mm-hmm. do it correctly, right? Mm-hmm. So she went, she was a theater producer. She was a theater director. She was an actress for five minutes, which was a terrible idea. I mean, I love her, but stop it. And mm-hmm. she, there was a lot of other careers that she had that she really loved, but she kept thinking to herself, oh, this is, this is not good. I need to pick one, right? Mm-hmm. I need to pick the one thing and stick to that so that, and what she realized and what I realized was that you can do five different things and as long as all five different things in my opinion bring you joy and Mm -hmm. maybe one of those five different things will service other humans then Mm -hmm. do five different things Mm -hmm. the failure in my opinion is when you don't try the failure is when you say i really love to paint 
and don't. That's the failure. That's beautiful. What does your t-shirt say, by the way? Oh, I can only see the top part of it. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> it says, nobody knows I'm trans. Okay. <laughs> it's a great shirt only because, you know, I wear it sometimes in faculty meetings and the professors love to come up to me and go, I know you're trans. And I'm like, yeah, that's a joke, you idiot. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> I'm on to you. Yeah, that's uh, right. That's funny. So folks, there you can already see a glimpse of some of the difficulties that Billings has had to face. She addresses the question with a bit of a humble flair, I guess you could say, not, you know, going into too much detail. However, in her book, she pulls no punches. I'm not going to give away too much, but I would like to give you a taste of the sort of history that you can find inside its pages. So here are a few suggestive selections through the decades. We begin in the 1960s, a time of great upheaval for many minority groups. There was the Civil Rights Movement and the Stonewall Riots, of course. But the time had not yet come for some, like young Alexandra. Being transgender requires careful planning, devious escapes, and fabulous costumes. In the 1960s, being me was illegal, both on the streets and in my living room. Then, as the decades wear on, Back in the early days of drag, especially in the late 70s and early 80s, when we were first coming out of the darkness and into the mainstream, female impersonators were just that. They were required to impersonate females. Meaning, in public perception at the time, it was still about entertainment and about pretending to be someone else instead of being yourself. For the average person, the idea that a person could deep down be anything other than their assigned sex was still to come. And even into the 1980s, there were laws that enforced that perception. The 80s were the time of the woman. Those shoulder pads took up most of the space that we weren't allowed into. It was still illegal to be transsexual, and walking across the street dressed in what the law deemed, quote, female attire without the presence of two articles of male clothing, unquote, was punishable by a short stay in jail. Transsexual was, of course, still the term at the time. And also, by the way, Billings would, in fact, get arrested on this very charge that she mentions here. This sounds like one of those laws that, you know, might still be on the books from some dark age long ago, but no longer actually enforced. But no, it was actually still actively enforced in the 80s and the 90s. And when she was arrested and the police officer asked to see her two articles of male clothing, Billings shot back, Like what, you mean my tube socks? and she shortly finds herself in jail. So that was what the 80s could be like for someone like her, not exactly the breakfast club. The 80s was, of course, also the time when people started getting sick. It was a plague, you see, and no one knew how you got it. There were no vaccines and no information, and no one survived it. What we know today as AIDS started out being called GRID, which stood for Gay-Related Immune Deficiency, a name that not only unfairly characterized the disease as a problem exclusively for non-heterosexuals, but which also ignored trans folks in the process. Yet Billings buried her friends just the same. As the 80s became the 90s, public perception continued to mischaracterize the trans community. 
I grew up and was living in a time when gender was specific, and what I grew into was defined as a man who became a woman. And she goes on, speaking of her acting career, I was hired at a time before the word transgender existed, and I was still labeled a pre-op transsexual, who was in fact lying about being pre-op. That was the perception, anyway, that she must have been lying about being pre-op. But later in the 90s, terms, if not perceptions, did begin to change. Transsexual came to refer specifically to those who desired gender confirmation surgery, and when Billings' friend told her that the new umbrella term was transgender, Billings exclaimed, Sounds like a detergent. Yeah, maybe. But that became the new umbrella term that we have today. Then came the turn of the millennium, and by then, the public had become aware that AIDS was a problem for everyone. And with that, AIDS charities became all the rage. I knew it when I sat down to watch the Oscars. It was in the early 2000s, and two very famous women walked out on stage flaunting their fancy red ribbons. The pins sparkled and had tiny gold tips, and I remember thinking, boy, those ribbons look really good with those outfits. Now, I think I detect a little more than a hint of sarcasm in those words. As Billings suffered the symptoms of the disease firsthand, in mainstream culture, AIDS charity had become fashionable, even trivialized. Now, in the 2010s, things finally began to shift for the trans community. Laverne Cox graced the cover of Time magazine, for example, and trans awareness was finally becoming widespread. Yet challenges remained. For example, in 2015, when applying for a full-time faculty position at a university, Billings was told, Transgender is not a legitimate category for minority hire. And, despite all the forward strides made in the 2010s, Billings nevertheless puts her frustration into words. Trans women are under attack. It's 2016 and we're still being murdered and hunted and eradicated from most every conversation. We are here and we are Americans, and yet, even now, even as far as we've come, we're still a fetish, and we're still a choice. Clearly, public perception still has a ways to go. Now, at the same time, the 2010s gave us a television experience that brought to life the struggles of people just like Billings, the TV show Transparent. Suddenly, mainstream audiences could relate, and Billings herself played no small part in that, starring as Davina, friend and mentor of sorts, for the main character, Mora, played by Jeffrey Tambor. However, the show ultimately ran aground of controversy. After four full seasons, accusations of sexual harassment were brought forward against Tambor by multiple transgender women on the show, and the fifth and final season was but one feature-length episode without Tambor. Now, Billings was not one of those who brought forward allegations, but she was there. She saw the sort of things that went on, and she doesn't doubt the allegations. She tells about this in her book. I won't go into details, but I did ask her about the experience of writing that difficult chapter about her time on the set. So shifting gears a little bit, so you've been in many different productions, a lot of them like stage plays, 
but you've also, you know, been in TV shows, various different parts. Of course, the thing that you're most famous for is uh, the TV series Transparent, which uh, full disclosure, I had not watched before uh, prepping for this interview, but it kind of, it got me. <laughs> Did it? I'm on like, I'm like moving into season four now. So I haven't seen. Oh, wow. Thing, That's yeah, good for you. You're a hanger on her. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. Listeners. It's, it's worth it. It's definitely worth it. That's great. But it's a show that of course is not without controversy. There's the sexual harassment allegations against former lead actor, Jeffrey Tambor. And you do address that in your book quite candidly and Rather deftly, it seemed to me, because it, it didn't feel like some kind of juicy tabloid expose. Um, you give credit where credit is due, uh, but you also don't like sugarcoat anything or like downplay anything. So was that a, a difficult chapter for you and your co-author, Joanne Gordon, to write? Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you had to play it just well, you know, the right well, way. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't believe in revenge. Um, and I don't believe in resentment, meaning mm. it's not healthy for me. I've done mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. before and it's just not healthy. So I don't hold on to stuff. Now that doesn't mean that the pain goes away. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's about carrying the pain and loss mm. and grief, because if I try to get rid of that, you know, if I try to say, oh, you know, I need to move on. I hate that phrase, but I need to move mm. on or I need to, uh, you know, if that's true with my pain and my grief and my loss, then it's also true of my joy and my beauty and my freedom. You know, mm. you can't compartmentalize events in your life. Everything, mm-hmm. you know, we're all made of the universe. So it's like electricity mm-hmm. running through us. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we're really happy and sometimes we're really sad. And sometimes we don't know why. So the entire book was difficult. <laughs> there was no, <laughs> I, I know. Believe so, that. It really was. And so You know, I've been asked this question before, like, well, what's the hardest chapter? And I'm like, they're all hard. Even Mm. the ones that were funny and silly Mm. were difficult. There was never a time. This is terrible. (laughs) But there was never a time when I thought, oh, goody, I get to write. I never did that. That never happened. Mm. Never. So, yeah, it was hard. But the whole thing was hard. (laughs) You know, actually, that's not true. You know, the one thing, the one that this just came to me as I'm saying this to you. The one thing that I wrote that was not difficult at all was the very last essay to my students. That was the only thing that was not difficult. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. And why do you think that is? Do you think that it just felt more authentic? I don't know. I I don't know. All I know is that I wrote it in, I think, five minutes. Mm Mm-hmm. I wrote it very quickly. It's one draft. The thing that you read is the thing that I wrote. It was not, cha- not a word of it was changed. And Joanne Gordon, who, who edited the book, she was the one who sort of put everything together. Because as you know, I write in the abstract some, sometimes. And some things make sense and we go back and forth in time and all kinds of things. Sure. And it was the only essay that I wrote that I said, this goes at the end of the book. And she was like, this is how you want to end the book? And I said, yes. That's the only thing I, you can do anything you want with every other essay, but this is the end of the book. And, and she said, okay, let's, she, let's Well, yeah, because it was the only time I went, listen, honey. And she, <laughs> she was like, okay, calm Didn't down. really give her a choice. So. No, not really at all, no. I want to go back but, to something. You, oh, no, go ahead. 
Well, I just wanted to add, you know, the thing about Jeffrey and about, a, I write a lot about a, a couple of quote unquote famous people, well-known people. Mm. And I left a lot out. Mm. And I left a lot, not of those stories, of those, of the people that I wrote about. I, I wrote everything down. But there are a lot of people and situations that I left out because mm. I, my book is not about famous people treating me badly. That's not, mm. I don't care to write anything like that. That wasn't. And because the book ends for my students mm -hmm. and the letter to them is, a, is about them understanding that they are not just my students, that they are my teachers. Mm. That is what the book is about. It's about me finding all of my teachers throughout my life. That's what I wanted to write about. Interesting. So I want to go back to something you said earlier about carrying the grief, uh, mm. because I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners to our show that have had experiences that are traumatic for them or, you know, that they may feel the, the weight of that on their shoulders. I've had experiences like mm -hmm. that. So like, how does a person carry the grief in your experience? Here's what I think. That's such a beautiful question. Here's what I think. Grief is like, if you go to the Sears Tower in Chicago mm -hmm. and you stand very close to the Sears Tower and you look up, mm -hmm. it's huge. It overwhelms the sky. You can see parts of the sky, but it overwhelms the sky. Mm -hmm. And you have to strain to try and see all of it. If you go across the street, it's still huge, but it's not as overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And then if you take a cab and you go across town, you may only see just like the very top of it. And then much more of the sky appears. Now, the building hasn't moved. You have. Mm -hmm. And then if you get on a plane and you say, go across the world to the other end of the globe, it's gone. You don't see it at all. All you see is sky. But it still hasn't gone anywhere. You have. Hmm. The building is always there. So many times, I believe, in our lives, we make a choice to go close to grief or loss or pain or envy, or jealousy, or rage, whatever the thing is, we make a conscious choice. I'm feeling really bad. I'm going to go close to that event. That event may have happened when you were 10. Who knows? And who knows why we're drawn to that? Stop questioning why and allow it to be true. Because if you're on the planet and you've survived 10 years, 20 years, 15 years, 65 years, You've survived it because you know how to do this. Hmm. So when you're very close to the building, when you're very close to that thing, just know, stay there. Just, it's not going to feel great. <laughs> just stay there. And know at any time when you're ready, all you have to do is bless the building. Thank the building for being there and then turn and walk away. That's the art of navigation, I think. I can see uh, what your students see in you. <laughs> I think oh, your students have a great sweet. teacher. <laughs> oh, thank you, my friend. That's very kind. That's, that's very insightful. And that, that actually does lead me into my next question, which is, if you would, for those out there who are cisgender, 
Is there one thing that you would like them to know that they might not think to ask? And for those out there who are trans or possibly trans or questioning somewhere on that curiosity scale, what is the one thing that you would like them to know? What a good question. It's a large question. I'll try and answer it succinctly. <laughs> that's, not, that's not my skill, actually, is succinct <laughs> answers. Um, all right, Alex, focus. Uh, first of all, let me just say, trans humans always know they're trans hmm. at four years old and five years old. I always say, as I approach my 60th year on the planet in four weeks, by the way, I'll be 60. Had I had parents in my own household who practiced understanding and who educated themselves on things that they were a little unfamiliar with, I probably, it would have saved me a couple of attempts on my life mm. because I always knew, I always knew, just like you always knew you were cis, just like we always know we're right-handed. There are certain things about us that are genetic, that are part of the makeup of who we are, that we just know. Mm -hmm. there, at no time does a child walk up to a parent and go, I, I, I think I'm a girl and not mean it. So we need to know that that's true. The questions, I think, especially for cis humans and for trans humans, for me, it's about information. I would really love to make education not only paramount, but fun. That I grew up hating to learn because I was told my whole life that I was stupid. Hmm. Stupid people, and let's be really clear about this, Stupid people are determined to wipe curiosity hmm. from their vocabulary. That's a stupid person. I refuse to learn about this. I will not talk about that. I don't want to know any more than I already know. So I would encourage cis, trans, non-binary, however you identify, that you ask every question possible, every question. And I would say, as long as you do it with kindness, meaning you, you, have to know, you, you have to know the event that you're in, right? Which means you have to read up before you go. If you go to a place where there are a lot of people that you've never met before, you might wanna to get to know that community before you go into that place mm -hmm. so that you understand which questions are appropriate and which questions are not. Mm -hmm. So this is all about how do we find out about each other in a really fun, entertaining way? How do I find out more about you? Mm. That it, it is not just about dialogue between you and I, but because I'm interested in you. I want to know about you. I want to know where you came from and what you like and what you don't like. So that when you and I talk, we can have a deeper, more meaningful and interesting conversation. Let's make education joyful. Wonderful. And that hopefully uh, this conversation has been a little bit deep and meaningful for our listeners as well. It certainly has been for me. Oh, I'm so glad. Thank you, Alexandra. You're um, welcome, my friend. So, but just the last thing that I have for you, you know, thanks for being on the show. But before we go, is there anything else that you would like our audience to know? Here's what I'd like to say. I'd like everyone who's listening to understand something as, as far as everybody can, whether or not you agree with another. There are many, many people in my life that I deal with that I don't agree with. Hmm. 
It doesn't mean I don't like them. It means I don't agree with you. I don't eat asparagus. I hate asparagus. Don't bring me asparagus. Don't put it on my plate. I don't want it. But if you love asparagus, I will feed you asparagus. I just won't eat it myself. I'll have a Big Mac. That's what I will have. And that's what you will have. That doesn't mean that we can't sit down and have dinner together. Let's try to the best of our ability to understand that your experience doesn't need to be my experience. You don't need to see the world through my lens. You don't need to walk in my shoes. I don't need you to speak for me. I need you to speak with me. So let's allow our differences to become gifts instead of obstacles. Let's practice that. And as someone who likes sweet corn on their pizza, I'm glad that not everybody has to be eating the same thing as me. See, there you go. That makes me want to throw my phone out the window. But for you, that's great. Thank you so much, Alexandra. I hope you have a a wonderful day. And I really appreciate you talking with us. Same. Thank you. All right. Have a good day. Thanks, love. You too. Folks, you can really tell that Billings is a teacher the way she encapsulates her points in visual metaphors. No doubt there are many of you out there who can relate to the experience of carrying pain, and I know it hits home for me. But ultimately, let me tell you, the experience of uh, talking to Billings, actually, and I I think you can hear that for yourself here, it, it just doesn't feel like she feels the weight of the world on her shoulders. Perhaps she did, almost certainly she did, but not anymore. And that's what really stood out to me. I think, maybe, there's something there that all of us could learn from. Well, folks, that's all that we've got for you today. I hope you learned something today. I certainly did. Thank you so much to Alexandra Billings for talking with us today. Everyone, be sure to go out and grab a copy of her memoir, This Time for Me, available now. Oh, and Alexandra, happy birthday to you, too. 60 beautiful years, and for all the pain and struggle, you wear it well. Next month on this show, hopefully, fingers crossed, We'll start telling the other side of the Wild West, the perspective of its native inhabitants, for whom the experience was, of course, very different. We'll be focusing specifically on the Lakota, Dakota, and Nakota tribes. What was sex and gender like in their culture? And how did that change over time as their land was taken and they struggled to make their way in a new, very different world? And what was it like for those of tribal third genders, traditions now summed up as two-spirit traditions? Perhaps among them there were some who could find some common ground with Alexandra Billings. But they were also very different from any modern Western gender category, not reducible to any single LGBTQ analogy, and varied greatly from tribe to tribe. We'll be getting into all of that in the coming months as we explore the other side of sex in the Wild West. 
Folks, if you like what we're doing here on this show, you can support us by subscribing, rating, and reviewing on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also pledge on Patreon, where $5 a month gets you a portrait drawn in the time period and culture of your choosing. I'll make you look awesome. I promise. Just go to www.patreon.com slash btnewberg. That's patreon.com slash b-t-n-e-w-b-e-r-g. All right, folks, I'll see you next time. I'm B.T. Newberg, and this is the history of sex. Podcast theme music mixed from tracks by Kevin McLeod. For additional credits, references, photos, and more, see our website at www.historyofsexpod.com.